0: My sense is that one of the qualities most essential or intrinsic to a life of ease and well-being is the quality of patience. I also sense that one of the qualities most difficult for us to to find and to cultivate and to remember is the quality of patience. So tonight I'd like to talk about This quality of patience. I'd like to begin with a poem by a Japanese artist. Hokusai says, Look carefully. He says, Pay attention, notice. He says, Keep looking, stay curious. He says, There is no end to seeing. He says, Everything is alive shells, buildings, people. Mountains, trees, wood is alive, water is alive. Everything has its own life. Everything lives inside us. He says, live with the world inside you. It doesn't matter if you draw or write books. It doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. I think at nearly every turn in our life we meet situations, both internally and externally, that really test the limits of our patience. There are countless moments that we meet people and events that test the limits of our tolerance. For most of us, there are countless moments in our day where we meet states, mental states, experiences, thoughts, feelings, that ask for a depth of patience that doesn't always feel available or accessible to us. In so much of our life, in our families, in our work, in our bodies, in our minds, and certainly in our meditation. We meet those moments of disappointment, of frustration, times when we feel that we really stumble, repetitive thought patterns, the whole range of difficulties, sometimes called the full catastrophe, where our inner resources are really called upon for us to be present and to stay connected. But the alternative to staying connected is to resist and to struggle and sometimes to fall into despair or to feel disheartened. And I think the the inner resource that is most often called upon is this quality of patience. I I don't think any of us can count the number of times, the number of moments that ask for us to be patient. In Pali, the word for patience is kanti. And patience is one of the ten of the great perfections of mind and heart, or one of the ten paramis. And in the culture and the practice of the bodhisattva, or the practice of compassion, patience is said really to be the forerunner, or the parent of compassion. And I think in this practice it's the quality It's said to be the most necessary if we are really to find peace and stillness in our hearts and in our lives. Now perhaps it's, it's very obvious that patience is not a quality that we develop in isolation. I think we could all sit on top of a mountain, retreat into a cave removed from the world, and delude ourselves into thinking that we were the most patient people in the world. Patience is a quality we develop in relatedness and in relationship. It is a quality that is part of our way of being present in and receiving life on a moment to moment level. Patience is a quality we bring to meeting the world of fear and frustration and anger and craving and aversion. All of the qualities that are, all of the experiences that are hard to be with. It is patience in the middle of difficult moments that allows us to soften allows us to stay connected and to be intimate with the moment that is there. Now the near enemy of patience is endurance, stoicism, and also resignation. The near enemy of patience is also despair, which is a surrender of relatedness. The writer called Plummer once said, There is as much difference between genuine patience and sullen endurance as between the smile of love and the malicious gnashing of teeth. A patience is not a passive submission to abuse or to exploitation or to to pain. But it is the inner steadiness and the commitment, I think, not to abandon anyone or anything inwardly or outwardly. It's the commitment to learn how to live with a calm abiding in the midst of all things. The Dalai Lama speaks of patience as the deep ability and willingness to remain firm and steadfast in the face of adversity. And born of our capacity to be upright and firm and steadfast rather than being overwhelmed in the face of adversity. There is born a calmness and a steadiness of heart and mind that nothing can shatter. Now, I think it's true that most of us are really not born patient. It's also true that patience is not a quality that just a fortunate few possess and everybody else is just unlucky. Patience is something we cultivate. And I, I don't think that any of us are lacking in moments and situations that offer us the opportunity to cultivate it. So where do we cultivate patience in the midst of impatience now it's not difficult for us to uh, explain in endless and graphic detail all of the people and the events in our world that we believe cause us to be impatient Nor is it difficult for us to explain in endless detail the events in our own minds that seem to be the source of our impatience. I think we we can see that we have a rather unfortunate, we might say, tendency to continue to try and impose a timetable that we have constructed in our own minds upon life and upon other people and upon ourselves. And then we feel somewhat offended and agreed, aggrieved if life doesn't obey or conform to our timetable. You know, perhaps we speak with a, a friend who's in a difficult situation, You know, maybe they've made some bad choices and they're very unhappy with their life. And we might find that we can be present with their suffering for a time. And then may begin to notice impatience coming as if they've kind of received their ration of our compassion. And now they should change. Mm -hmm. I think we see it sometimes in our own bodies, if we're ill or if there's something not working well in our bodies. You know, we can approach it initially with the intention to be patient and accepting and open. And then we start to see that same well at impatience arising as if okay you know I've, i've paid my dues and now this should be different than it is sometimes in our meditation we find ourselves sitting with difficult mind states with dullness or with restlessness and again you know we have that initial intention to open to accept to receive to welcome And then we start looking at our watch (laughs) and we say, well, that's enough opening, you know, that's enough accepting, that's enough receiving, now really should be different. At times we do see that our patience has hidden conditions. And one of the hidden conditions is the demand for change, for something to begin that has not yet begun, or for something to end that has already been in existence for too long. And when our conditions or our timetable isn't met, I think what we do see is how much craving and aversion can underlie what patience we have. It came Roshi, I a mean, much-loved Zen teacher, came into a retreat like on the second day, like tomorrow, when often people are feeling a little glum, you know, feeling they're not getting anywhere and they'll never get anywhere and, and everybody wants a magical solution for their mind. And he came in and he said, you know, the difficulties you are experiencing now, and everybody's sitting there, you know, eager, eager for the solution, and he said, the difficulties you're experiencing now are going to be with you for the rest of your life, which, you not. Know, It is really, not very little, of course, but it it is like what would be asked of us if we were to meet life without conditions and timetables, if we were able to meet frustration and difficulty and disappointment without craving and aversion. One of my hot places of aversion is um, long flights. And this is something i have uh, uh, many opportunities to work with in a year because i actually undertake many of them and one of the ways that i i kind of find interesting to be on airplanes is, is of course to watch the map you know you get these maps now on the screen in front of you which tracks your progress uh, you know little plane moves along this map tiny infinites, you know, tiny tiny bit of time so often when I'm really kind of sitting on long flight, and I sit, then I, I just ponder this little airplane moving or apparently not moving across this map. Um, but you know, I always have this thing in my mind that it's actually going to get there at some point. It's going to get there and, and this flight will end. A few days ago I did a very long flight, 11 and a half hours, and I was pondering my map, watching the little airplane. <laughs> Creeping across the world, and it got stuck over the Sahara Desert, and it never moved. It never moved. For the, for, and I had no watch on, so for I could sort of see myself sitting there, you know, for the rest of my life. It always going to be five hours until I arrive, you know, and suspended there above the Sahara, you know. Forever. And I had to say, well, what would it be like, you know? How would that be, just to open to this? In the path of the bodhisattva, the path of compassion, patience and forbearance or tolerance are very closely linked. Patience is linked with forbearance and tolerance. And Shantideva, one of the great teachers and us about compassion, he said, there is nothing whatsoever that is not made easier through intimacy, through acquaintance. So through becoming acquainted with small hands, I shall patiently learn to embrace greater suffering. Speaking about our capacity for tolerance our capacity for forbearance now patience begins of course with our willingness to be intimate with all the moments when we are impatient it begins with our willingness to turn towards everything that we are tempted to abandon or flee from because that is where we begin to understand that the source of our impatience is not actually in all of the events and the people and the situations that we meet in life, that the source of our impatience is in our own mind and heart. And it is there too that the source of patience is. Now when we really explore or really uh, uh, investigate the fabric of impatience, well, we see that it is suffering. In fact, I think in reality, impatience is one of our greatest sufferings, because it really does very little but mar our capacity to live where we are, and to be with what is, and to find peace and stillness in the midst of all things. I think in truth, we are never happy when we are impatient. This is not a fine theory. In fact, on a retreat, you have many, many opportunities to see whether impatience and happiness ever coexist. You find yourself behind the slowest walking meditator in the world. People speak about this odd desire to overtake so that they can get to their place where they can walk slowly. But there's something about just being held back. Or you wait while the person in front of you has the most mindful shower in the world. Or the person in front of you at the lunch line feels the need to examine every ingredient in every dish before they serve themselves. Now you see, we explore what happens in those moments. Notice when we're impatient how part of the fabric of impatience is of course agitation and sometimes anxiety. And how that agitation and anxiety then quite quickly turns into aversion and resistance. Aversion and resistance to where we are, to the simple truth of the moment. The person in front of us is walking slowly the person in front of us in the shower has a lot of washing to do but we are somehow so resistant that we just can't find any peace within that simple truth and there is no peace in aversion and resistance so we learn to practice being patient with Anxiety and agitation. We learn to be patient with resistance. And our willingness to be patient, to cultivate patience in those moments, to come back to the simple truth of that moment, is actually what will lead us to be free from anxiety and agitation. And cultivating patience in those moments is in reality offering to ourselves a gift of happiness and stillness instead of offering to ourselves an open door to agitation and anxiety. Because when we get caught in the anxiety, when we get caught in the agitation of impatience, we act, either mentally or externally we act. We try to alter the world to fit in with our craving or we try to alter the world in a way to subdue our aversion and fear, or we find ourselves often when we're impatient that we're kind of leaning forward, tilting forward into the next moment, waiting for something to end, or waiting for something else to begin. So cultivating patience means not tilting forward and not leaning away from. Cultivating patience means that we actually learn to be upright and to be curious and interested in the fabric of impatience itself. Now, my sense, uh, my experience too, is that if we surrender our curiosity and interest in the nature of impatience, then often what happens we live a life where we're just waiting. And I think each of us could write our own life and our own meditation poems about waiting. You know, we're waiting for our world to be perfect. We're waiting to be someone. We're waiting for the right person to complete our life. We're waiting to get to where we really want to be. We're waiting for something to be over. You know, here we can be waiting for the sun to come out we're waiting for our aching back to disappear you know we think our meditation is really going to begin once uh, we've waited and, and our aching back disappears our aching knee disappears we can find ourselves waiting for the sitting to end that's often a very familiar place of waiting waiting for lunch and then we're waiting for the walking to end waiting for the bell I think we can find ourselves waiting a lot in our life, almost as if we're waiting for the perfect moment to be present in. You know, in prisons in England, they talk about this phenomenon called gate fever. And, and it's the time when a prisoner is really in the last days of their sentence. And they start thinking about what's on the other side. Up the gate what's on the other side of the wall and they become very kind of you know very understandably preoccupied with what happens next it's often said to be the most dangerous time in a prisoner's life it's the experience that they talk about in the prisons here because in in that sense of tilting forward and and being so entangled in in what is not that lapse of mindfulness often leads to a prisoner making mistakes or or something happening which doesn't actually allow them to go through the cake. Hmm. I think we can sense in all of the moments in our life when we're waiting, what we have really accepted in those moments is a kind of postponed life. The life that we want that has yet to appear or yet to begin and, and when we look at what the nature of waiting is it, it's very rarely content very rarely peaceful or calm mostly we are inclining towards what is not here because what is here is somehow felt to be not not good enough or not worthy of our attention or we are just aversive to it. And that's all the ingredients of unhappiness. One of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, in one of her verses, she says, When it's over, I want to say all my life, I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited the world. I think in the moment when we find ourselves in that space of waiting, It's quite useful to bring into that space, the koan or the question, what am I saving myself for? Are we preparing so we can live fully and wholly in some future moment that is yet to arrive? Are we saving our mindfulness and our compassion and our capacity for connectedness? so we can be present in that perfect moment whenever it does arise as if we have somehow a kind of limited ration of compassion and care and sensitivity that we have to carefully conserve and some years ago I read the thesis of a Harvard professor (coughs) that he he'd written this thesis on happiness and what makes people happy so he'd interviewed all these different people in the world, people with very, you know, uh, prestigious jobs and positions, people who had very humble jobs and positions, people who were very occupied, people who were very unbusy, people in all, all walks of life. And, you know, I, I must say, I wasn't overly impressed with this thesis because it, it, it struck me that people have been talking about this for some time. But anyway, when he concluded was that the key to happiness was not what we do, that the key to happiness was our devotion to doing what we do. That whatever we do is kind of irrelevant. But the quality of devotion, of being wholehearted, he concluded was the key to happiness. He also discovered that the happiest people in the world weren't waiting for anything. So when does impatience arise? Well, for most of us, we are not impatient when we are getting what we want. (laughs) That's fairly obvious. (laughs) We're not impatient when we feel our various desires and cravings and needs are being fulfilled, when we feel satisfied or flattered or reassured. Mostly where impatience arises in relationship to what we deem to be unpleasant or difficult or threatening and again we're willing to be patient for a little while as long as it doesn't last too long we can find ourselves you know being quite patient with a, a meditation neighbor you know who who shuffles or is restless and we're patient and compassionate for a little while And then we can feel the resistance and the tightening start to happen, even the blame. And we find ourselves somehow singing that familiar song of impatience that says, I can't bear this. Now, forbearance, the quality of forbearance or tolerance, which is closely linked to compassion, Forbearance actually really invites us to look at those places where we say, this is unbearable. I can't bear this. What would it mean for us to remain steadfast and to stay present in those moments? What would it mean for us to be interested in those very edges when we start to disconnect or to abandon? What does it mean for us to open to those moments? And in opening, not be overwhelmed. Now, I'm not talking about the great, huge events in our life here. I think the place where we really practice patience is in the small stuff. You know, the small stuff really matters. What happens for us in the lunch line, What happens for us with the sound that we dislike? What happens with the thought that we really know we've thought too many times already? What happens in those moments when we can feel that sense of resistance or aversion arising? These moments, they are the classroom of forbearance. And they're also the classroom of equanimity and stillness and peace. Now, forbearance doesn't mean suffering. It doesn't mean agreeing to suffer. No, you know, bowing to something is not the same as bowing down to something. You know, the worst thing anybody on retreat ever said to me was when a woman came to me and she said that meditation had helped her to bear an unacceptable abusive relationship. And i thought no this is some quality of misunderstanding here because we are, that is not what we practice to bowing to something means bringing respect and treasuring dignity and if suffering needs clear and courageous action then that is what is needed but if suffering can't be altered then what is needed is forbearance and patience and compassion and attention. In the Zen tradition, it's sometimes said that all of the Buddhas turn the wheel of the Dharma in the midst of fierce flames. I think if you could imagine or visualize a mandala or a circle of life a circle of suffering and also a circle of stillness and freedom. And if you could imagine or visualize yourself taking your seat in the middle of that mandala and sensing yourself surrounded by all of the events and the people and the sights and the thoughts and the feelings that are part of all of our life the lovely ones and the unlovely ones, the difficult and the delightful. And to recognize that in that circle of events, that none of us can control those events, can we? We can't just decide only to have the delightful and not the difficult. We can't decide only to have the lovely and not the unlovely. If we see that circle of events around us, and appreciate that those events are arise and are born of conditions. And then if you could imagine around that first circle, a second circle, and in that circle is all the anger and the fear and the blame and the rage and the ill will and the anxiety and the impatience, that it's possible for us to feel and experience Now I think what you can see is that there is no direct link between the events and the reactions to those events. There's no intrinsic link, no direct link. Impatience and rage and fear and aversion are optional. We can perhaps sense when we move from that place of balance in the centre of the circle, And when we move through the events into that second circle, then we become part of the wheel of suffering. And often what turns that wheel of suffering are the forces of impatience and the forces of aversion and craving. But what would happen if we didn't move from the center of the circle, if we were able to stay still and steady in the midst of the difficult and the painful, to bear with it to bear with it to be patient with it Well, the unpleasant would still stay unpleasant you know forbearance is not some kind of magical wand that brings the unpleasant to an end but we are changed we are changed when we no longer compound the difficult and the suffering of the moment with our demands and our insistence that it, the moment must be different than it is. And I think this way we liberate not only ourselves, but we liberate also the world and the people in it from the power of that insistence and demand that it must be different than it is. this is where compassion begins with the withdrawal of that insistence that demand that this moment must be different than it is because when we withdraw that insistence and that demand we can actually begin to listen to listen to the cries of the world and just as we can become so and impatient with with the external world. I mean, we see that often. But I think what's very painful is when we are so impatient with ourselves, with the inner spectrum of our physical and emotional and psychological events that we meet all the time every day in our practice and in our life. Now, the first step of mindfulness is to open very unconditionally to what is, to learn to bring a clear and a steadfast attention. Mindfulness by its very nature is really a surrender of flight. Mindfulness by its nature is a surrender of abandonment. It's a surrender of trying to divorce ourselves from that which we fear and dislike. So it also is the surrender of the path of craving, of trying to arrange our inner world according to our desire. So in this sense, I think that mindfulness is really an embodiment of patience. Because mindfulness is really saying, just this, just now. Now this quality of attention, we really learn to bring to all of the events, not only in our outer world, but in our inner world, learning to be with what is, learning to be steady in the midst of all things. When I spent some time in Thailand many years ago, uh, I spent some, th- uh, some time in monasteries in Thailand and. You know, part of the expectation and the obligation of being in a monastery is, is, you know, having the courtesy to attend the Dharma talks in the evening. And if you think that I can talk for a long time, you've never listened to a Thai abbot can talk for hours. So every evening I would go, you know, and I would sit in the hall and sit in the hall and sit in the hall. And, and to be quite frank, most everybody used to be falling asleep, except the abbot, you know, who would go on and on and on and on. And you see, you know, because as a laywoman, I would be sitting at the back of the hall and in front of me, I'd see all these rows of monks and nuns, you know, <laughs> nodding out as the hours went by. And what I, I used to find it particularly challenging because of course the talks were given in Thai. And I didn't speak a word of time, you know. So I would find myself, what did it mean just to listen? You know, to hour after hour, just listen. I think it is important to bring this, this perfection of patience into the reality of our life. You know, because I mean, sometimes we imagine that all of the, It's easy for us to imagine that all of the Buddhas and all of the great teachers and all of the great yogis you know, have this perfectly calm and tranquil mind all the time and bodies that give them no trouble and lives without adversity. But you know, that's not true. But what the Buddhas and, and the great teachers and the deeply committed yogis have is patience. Now, patience does tend to disappear, I think, in the face of continuity. You know, as I mentioned, it's something that lasts for a short time with patience. If it seems to go on and we can't see the end, then that's where impatience arises, is in the face of that continuity. Why? Because we see what happens is that we slide from being mindful and receptive to what is happening, we slide from that to being identified with what is happening. And in that slide from mindfulness to being identified, that's the place where we start to say, you know, I am restless, I am dull, I am hopeless. You know, I'm the most hopeless meditator in the world. You know, I am a failure. I can't do this. When you see that word of I arising so strongly, it's often a signal that we're sliding from mindfulness to being identified. And that is where we see the holes in our patience begin to appear. And then we start to use the word always. <laughs> And to me the word, always, is the greatest saboteur of patience. You know, I will always be like this. You will always be like that. This will always stay like this. As if impermanence applies to every single thing in the universe, except our experience. Always, it's so potent. We think, I will be like this forever. It is really useful to be able to spot that point when we are moving from mindfulness to being identified, because that is the point where patience disappears. If we can spot that point, well, there's two things that can happen at that point. One is that we can follow a path of of craving and aversion, anxiety or else we can bring forbearance and patience and calmness to those moments to stay with, to be present with. If we don't spot those moments, I think very much again we find ourselves in that limbo of waiting waiting for something to be over, or saving ourselves once more for the perfect moment when we will be mindful. If we can be mindful of anxiety, of aversion, of restlessness, if we can practice patience in the face of adversity, there we will actually find the stillness that we really seek for, the calmness of being contentment of being that really knows each moment is enough in this house it said I have just three things to teach simplicity patience compassion these three are your greatest treasures simple in actions and in thought you return to the source of being. Patient with both friends and enemies, you live in harmony with the way things are. Compassionate towards yourself, you reconcile all beings in the world. If we could have just a couple of moments quietly.